For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred, um, occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So Sally's going to help us understand what that says. All righty. How are we doing, guys? The other... So just today, I was chatting to my mate Will. Hey, Will. That Will. I was chatting to my mate Will. Because I'm not sure if you guys know this about Will, but Will's always at the beach. He's always having a cheeky dip, getting in the water, going for a surf. It's good. So I asked him the other day, Will, what are you most afraid of at the beach? And he did a bit of thinking. Did a bit of thinking. And then he told me, look, you know, jellyfish, they're a bit stingy and... Mad riptides, they can, they, can, they can hold you under and they can be deadly. But probably the top of my list would probably be these. Shark boys. Yeah. He was most afraid of sharks at the beach. So you know what I said to Will? You, sir, are an ignorant fool. Forget about sharks. You need to be afraid of these boys. That's right, killer cars. I'm warning you, Will. You only need to look... Two years back in Australia's history, two years ago, sharks, score count, killed one person. One person, right? They might have like taken a nibble out of a couple of other people. Well, killed one person. Cars killed 160 pedestrians. 160 people just walking around beside the road. Cars are bloodthirsty wheel monsters. Whatever you do, Will, stay out of the car park. So that's how that conversation went. And he agreed, cars are the most deadliest thing at the beach. But we seem to think we're the safest when we're not in the water. So how silly are we and how silly is Will? Now here's the thing, we might laugh at the real danger of cars at the beach, but we need to make sure we don't laugh at the real dangers that face us every day living as God's people. The passage tonight will show us clear examples from the past that show us there's a real danger here. Dangers that could cost us everything that we could be completely oblivious to. Things we can be foolish for not seeing. You see, you could think, yourself, think right now everything's all good and rosy with your relationship with God, but tonight you might realise it's completely the opposite. This is going to be a really helpful reality check for us all as we look at the Bible tonight. 
And if you already consider yourself not a Christian or not a part of God's people, there's something here for you as well. I want you guys to hear the warning tonight of what it looks like to live outside the people of God. So no matter who you are, don't be an ignorant fool. Hear the warning in this passage. But before we get into it, I'm going to ask God to help us so we don't miss this stuff. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and the way that uh, it can shape us and give us instruction for how we should live. Um, We pray that we would not miss these warnings or uh, be too comfortable in the way we live, but always seeking to live better lives for you. Uh, Please help us to concentrate. Please help us to be honest with ourselves where we are falling short. And I pray that your word might uh, strike our hearts and shape us to be more like Jesus. In his name, amen. All right, the first real warning we need to hear is this. Living amongst God's people won't save you. Now, what I mean by this is just coming to EV Youth and being amongst Christian people and doing the, the Christian-y tick box stuff, that doesn't save you from God's judgment. How do I know this? Well, we get a very clear example from history that tells us so. So if you've got your Bibles there, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, make sure you've got it open. Paul is going to give us an account here of the, of the events that happened to God's people like 1,400 years earlier before the Corinthians. But we need to realize as well, there's some really relevant stuff here for us today as well. So read the first couple of verses of chapter 10 with me. Paul warns us, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and, dr- and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. So right here, Paul is referencing um, some history. A key part of Israel's history so he can show us something. Now check your eyes to the screen and I'm going to walk us through what's going on. So first up, we've got verse 1 and 2. Paul has taken us back to the time of Exodus where God was the saviour of his people Israel. And how did he do that? Well, he brought them out of slavery and oppression in Egypt, through the sea, led by this cool guy, Moses, in the front there. It was a crazy moment where, through, through the power of God, Moses parted the sea and Israel walked through on dry ground. And that's what he's talking about in verses 1 and 2. And that event of walking through the water was a little like a Christian baptism, and it marked out this group of people that passed through the sea as God's people. They emerged out of the sea as God's special people. Now we'll hit frame two because these people, they they moved into the desert after this moment and we get in the next couple of verses that it was God that sustained them in the desert. With no food and water in the desert, um, God sustained Israel by raining down this special bread every day so they had something to eat. And we get some more history in verse four, in frame three, when, when they got thirsty, when the people got thirsty in the desert, God told Moses to strike a rock and make water flow out to provide for them when they were thirsty. So throughout all this time, it was God that saved them, God that accompanied them, and God that sustained them while they were in the desert. Sounds like God must be really pleased and happy with these special people, right? 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 Wrong. Look at verse 5. It says, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Guys, even though this was a group of people known as God's people, even though they got saved from Egypt and fed directly from the hand of God, most of them were judged by God. 
God willed that they were to die out in the desert. The verses say their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Heavy story, yeah? But do you see what Paul is trying to show us? He's showing us that there's more to living as God's people than just living amongst his people. Living amongst God's people doesn't save you. Looking like God's people and ticking the boxes doesn't matter much either. For us, I reckon that box ticking that we, that we think matters so much is like they're not swearing, they're not stealing, trying to be better than most people. We go to youth, we go to church, so we must be sweet with, with God, right? Paul warns us with the events of history, no. Living amongst God's community and ticking the boxes doesn't save you, although it is extremely helpful. So I want you to think about being in God's community is more like a skateboard helmet. Uh, now I have to apologise, I didn't actually find a skateboard helmet, I could only find a bike helmet, but, um, but bear with me. So I want you to think about being in God's community is like a skateboard helmet. So when you put it on, it does, it does help to protect you from getting hurt, but it doesn't guarantee you'll be completely safe. Because if you hit the next slide, if you try and jump a massive gorge on your skateboard... Just because you're wearing a stack hat, that doesn't mean you're not going to die when you try and jump the chasm, right? So there's more to staying safe than just wearing a helmet. In the same way, there's more to avoiding the judgment of God than just making sure you're hanging out with the Jesus team. That's the first big warning for us. Living amongst God's people won't save you. So at this point, you might be asking, so what did these Israelites do that attracted such a terrible judgment from God? Well, that's our second warning tonight. Living two lives brings the judgment of God. Meaning we can't one moment say we're God's people and then in another live a life completely the opposite way. Again, we get a history lesson to show us this, how we can fall into the same trap as Israel. Take a look at verse 6 with me. Now, these things occurred... That's the historical events we just covered. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So you're starting to understand why so many of God's people were punished so harshly. Although they were God's people and meant to be devoted to Him and His good ways, their hearts were chasing after something else. They were chasing after other things. And we are warned what sort of things they were chasing after in the next verses. Take a look at verse 7. Paul warns us, Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Now, I need you to look up at the screen again, a bit more history. So this verse is referring to a time just after they were rescued from slavery in Egypt. They're out in the desert. Uh, They were so quick to forget God. Their leader, Moses, left them for just a moment. And when he came back, they had literally made a golden statue to worship instead of God. A physical idol. They had a bit of a festival, food and drink. And get this, they celebrated how this golden statue rescued them from Egypt. How wild is that? What would it be like if you were God and your people's hearts turned away from you so quickly? You can start to see why the judgment was so harsh, yeah? But there's more in verse 8. We're warned, we should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. Now again, this is talking about a moment when the men of Israel, they were sleeping around with foreign women. Not good. 
And, that's, and what's even worse is that they were getting into the same kind of, kind of idol worship as they were before. They were feasting and sacrificing things with these women, with foreign people's false gods. They were worshipping these foreign people's gods instead of the one true God. And we learn in verse 8, that attracted the punishment of a plague that in one day killed 23,000 people. But Israel's hearts still had more disobedience in them. Have a look at verses 9 and 10. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. So this is talking about two different but similar moments, where again, God brought a harsh punishment punishment down on Israel. Verse 9 is referring to a time where they were testing God in second-guessing His decision to save them from slavery. How crazy is that? They didn't trust their mighty God. So He set snakes upon them so that they would learn to trust in Him. And let me tell you, they did after that. They pleaded to Him for forgiveness. Please forgive us. And God being faithful made a way for them to be forgiven and save them from those snakes. Now, verse 10 just references pretty much the same thing happening again. They've got a short memory when Israel doubted the goodness of God and His good plan for them. And again, death followed their disobedience. Are you guys starting to get the big picture? The group of peop- this group of people were meant to be God's people, devoted to, f- and devoted to Him and faithful in word and action. But instead, their hearts were drawn to food, festivals, sex, and worship of other things other than God. It seems many of Israel were God's people by name only, when really their lives were far from faithful to Him. They didn't really love God. Otherwise, they would have lived a life only for God, not this double life. Instead, they loved other things and running their own lives. Guys, we need to be careful. We are are not God's people by name only. Now, I'm not sure if you know this about me, but uh, getting a bit personal here for a second here, but I'm actually a gym member. True story. Uh, that's right, I have a gym swipey thingy and everything, so you'd expect that I'd be pretty fit, yeah? Like scary strong, that I could lift up two little Johns above my head with no problems, one in each hand, yeah? But the truth is, I'm a gym member by title only because really, I very rarely go to the gym and I rarely live the way the title suggests. Here's the thing. Many of us can be guilty of living the same way in our Christian lives. We might come to youth and like to think of ourselves as Christians, but our lives tell a completely different story. Instead, our lives are filled with chasing after what our heart wants, not what God wants. That is a double life. And this is what is at the heart of every disobedient thing the Israelites did. They didn't trust God's plan for their life, so they followed their own. They didn't appreciate what He'd done for them. Instead, Their hearts put other things as priority one instead of God. And they weren't willing to sacrifice these things for the sake of God. Friends, if there is anything you aren't willing to sacrifice, even though God would want you to, you need to get rid of it. That thing is coming between you and God. Whatever it is, don't let it come between you and God. God is the Savior that has promised all things. So I want to encourage you, actually take some steps tonight. To put that thing aside, ask for forgiveness, and don't just give half of your heart or half of your life to God, but give your whole life that He demands. 
Friends, we can't be living two lives as Christians, serving God and another thing. Because living two lives brings the judgment of God. But I reckon we can so easily fall into this trap, yeah? I want you to think for me with a second, think with me for a second. Is there something in your life that when you think about it right now, you feel is putting a divide between you and God? Something that is between you and God that is holding your relationship back. It has you living a double life you wouldn't want God to see. But we forget that God sees everything. So if you have something between you and God, then do something about it tonight. Maybe the double life that you're living is in a relationship, maybe with a boy or girl that you're seeing. Maybe they aren't a Christian, so already there's some huge problems there. But you find that when you're with this person, you're completely different to the way you are at youth. You push the physical boundaries that God wouldn't like, and you're acting like someone that doesn't even have God as their ruler. Now, maybe you, maybe you are dating a Christian, but you're struggling with the exact same things of being a Christian when you're with that person. Whatever the case is, do something about it, guys. Have a conversation with them so things can change. Maybe you even need to have that really hard conversation. Maybe you need to consider breaking up, particularly if they aren't a Christian, and put an end to your double life. But maybe this isn't you. Maybe you're not in a relationship. Maybe you're single. So maybe what living a double life looks like for you is that you're two different people when you're at youth compared to when you're at school or when you're at a party on a weekend. At youth, you're sweet. You don't swear. You don't gossip. You don't pay anyone out. You're pretty nice. No drinking, that's a no-brainer. But you're not chasing popularity or relationships. But when you're at school or when you're at a mate's at a party, you go hard after these things. Guys, if you live like a Christian in one place and not another, then you're living a double life. You need to change that. One of the ways you can work on this is maybe think about how you spend your time. Maybe there's some Christian mates that you should be hanging out with more. Maybe it's on the weekends. Maybe you need to find them at school so they can hold you accountable to this life that God has called you to. Maybe your G-team can help. And if, if you're not in a G-team, really want to encourage you to do so because getting together with a group of guys, uh, working towards the same thing, um, to live a life for God is a really helpful thing to do. But you might even need to go to the extreme of maybe you're in a school where there's just not many Christians around. So maybe you need to befriend people in different year groups. But whatever you do, you need to find a way to be accountable so you don't live this double life and sit under the judgment of God. Guys, doing this work, it's worth it. And if you're lost about what to do in this situation, I want to encourage you, maybe talk to your leader. Uh, they're here for you guys to chat through um, all sorts of different things. It's one of the big reasons why they're here each and every week. But remember, in all this hard work and sacrifice it might take to put to death a double life, remember this. To live a life for God is to free yourself from the burden of guilt to live the life we were actually made for. Making these changes in your life is so worth it. Think about it. Living a life for a God who loves you, who calls you his own and wants to reward his people that inheritance so good that every sacrifice we make in this life pales in significance to eternity. Guys, it's so worth it. Now I want to take us to our final warning in this chapter tonight, and it's this. Stand firm because temptation is real. 
Paul gives us this warning because he's terrified we might think that there's no real danger out there because what he sees as dangerous, we sometimes think is harmless. Don't be blind. Don't be like Will at the beach. This warning is for us. Look at him getting fired up in verses 11 and 12. These things happened to them, the Israelites, as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. These stories of God's people living their lives far from God could very easily be our stories. So Paul says to us, stand firm, be careful that you don't fall. This is a real possibility for us. That we fall into swim, sorry, fall into swim, that we fall into sin and maybe fall so far away from God that we no longer belong to Him. That's what happened to Israel and it could happen to us. And it's not like we're going any better at not falling away than them either. Take a look at verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. What this verse is saying is, we are most, what we are most tempted by is things that are actually common to every person and every time. Now that's comforting on one level because we're not experience some, experiencing some really intense dialed up temptation. Instead, it's just the same as everyone else. But isn't that the point Paul's trying to make? At the heart of the Israelites' sin was idolatry, sexual immorality and greed. How is that any different to us? Even if we're not acting on those things, aren't we constantly thinking about those things, drawn to those things, thinking about relationships and sex all the time? Even when we're obeying God in these areas, our thoughts are never far from this stuff. Temptation is always there, ready to pull us into sin. Our hearts, like Israel, are prone to be distracted and lead lives that chase relationships, validation, money, success, you name it, instead of God. We need to watch out. So I want to ask you guys, have you checked your life recently? What is it that your heart is chasing as priority number one? Now one last thing on temptation. Temptation is real sneaky. It often provokes us just to do small things that disobey God, but I reckon that's where it gets us. One small sin leads to another small sin, and that sin leads to another misguided motive. And before we know it, it's snowballing on us until that little sin has led us to countless others and we find ourselves living lives as judgment-worthy as the Israelites. So guys, remember, stand firm because temptation is real. We need to have our eyes open to the reality that temptation is always around the corner. But I want to finish tonight with the hope and comfort we have in all this. Take a look at verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now in these verses, we learn that in this business of temptation, sin and double lives, God is for us and He's in control. He listens to us in our time of need. He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear, although that doesn't mean hard times won't come to us. He does actually place us in hard times to grow us, to make us more reliant on Him as we always should be. 
But in all that, He is our comfort and He helps us to endure it. And also remember, when we are tempted, we can look to Jesus, who although was tempted, never sinned, and instead went to the cross to pay for our failings and take them on as His. He paid for our weaknesses, so we can trust His forgiveness He secured for us on the cross when we stumble in this area. There is great hope. How good is the Father for sending us Jesus? I reckon all this means, guys, we need to be praying. Above all things, we need to be praying for protection because temptation is always around the corner. For forgiveness because even the best of us still stuff up daily. We need to pray for help to rid our lives of things that are getting between us and God. And we need to come to God for comfort when we're hurting. That's his free offer in this passage. All these things we can do and should do because although temptation is great, we have an even greater faithful God. A God who loves us even when we're broken, even when we fall short. And He wants to build us up to be people of love and faithfulness just like Him. So let's ask Him for some of these things right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You so much for Your Son Jesus, who although tempted, never sinned. And that we can, in our weakness, rest on the forgiveness that He offers through His death and resurrection. But we want to examine our lives tonight, Father, and see that there might be things and double lives that we're leading that we need to bring to You and ask for forgiveness. And please, would You help us to be reading reading our lives of um, ungodliness, of lives not lived for You, and get our priorities right. Help us not just to be people um, of God, just by title alone. And please, would you protect us from temptation? Would you protect this youth group and this group of people from falling away and falling into sin? And we ask that um, in our weakness, that you would bring us comfort, you would bring us healing, and by your Spirit, would you be transforming us so we would not be people who belong to you that sit under judgment, but we're people that belong to you because we trust in the blood of Jesus and we live with him as our King. In Jesus' name, Amen.